All right, uh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you you've caused this to be written and that we can engage it. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. So at the beginning of this series of John, uh, I had told you, I had informed you that John's writing, he's, uh, his style is a little loopy. And not like because he's, he's whacked loopy, but, but just uh, he, he will start to write something. And then that thing that he's writing will remind him of something else. And then he'll kind of go off on a little rabbit trail and talk about that something else. Only to kind of loop back around again to get to his original thought. Now, that from a preaching perspective is both a good thing and it's a challenging thing. Now, the good thing about that is that we get to revisit, we get to dig deeper into things that we've already talked about. Because, again, he's got this circular pattern going on. Now, the challenging thing about that is that we get to revisit and dig deeper into the things that we've talked about. And so that's kind of where we are this morning. So we're just going to get we're just going to get right to work. And we're going to go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. My dear children, you know, there are certain points in our life, certain times where we find ourselves kind of going inside and becoming introspective. And we begin to, we begin to analyze things and we begin to think about what's going on. And so we start to think, think of things like, what's the meaning? What's, what's, what's our purpose? And meaning and purpose are always big things for, for people. And we start to reflect upon the idea of, of, of where, where, where am I now? Where am I going? Where have I been? What's, what's going on? Is this, is this all there is? Maybe we think about where, where I want to be and where I'm not and where I really believe that I should be. And, 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 and I'm not quite there yet. And so we kind of wrestle with these things. And it leads us into thinking about goals and desires and, and direction. Are we on the right path? Are we going in the right direction? And we spend a lot of time in the rearview mirror. And we look in, in, into the past. Who we've been. What we've been. How have we done. And you know what I find is very interesting? We seem to linger on our failures and our mistakes more than on our accomplishments and our successes. And so we just kind of mold those things over. We come, become painfully aware of what we have yet to accomplish. What we've wanted to accomplish, but we haven't done it yet. What was the plan and how the plan has just kind of fallen apart. And so we kind of go back there and we think and we try to figure it out and analyze and, and, and get involved in the details. And we want to learn from our mistakes. And we want to take those lessons. And we want to apply them to our lives. And then we want, to, we want to move on. We want to move on in the future. We want to build a better future. 
But many times we will end up just always holding on to the idea that life is still, no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we figure it out, no matter how many times we make the list and make the whole, get everything in order, life still holds this, this level of uncertainty. Now, I would say this about that as a Jesus follower and having this, this book, this, this, this sacred text, that as a Jesus follower, we should be sure about, at least I would say two things in our life, about our meaning and about purpose of what God has given us and how we live. But, you know, we get caught up in the desire to change things about ourselves because that's the only way it's going to get better. We're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to change the things about ourselves and then we're going to apply those lessons and then things will get better. Now, I've said this before, I believe in our First John series, that what we tend to focus on is the symptom in our life and not the disease. We focus on the symptoms and not the disease. We get hooked into the details of our lives and all the little things of, of minutiae, and we miss the big sprawling picture. We want to always seem to fix the effect... And we seem to ignore the cause. There's a, a self-help mantra out there that says that we are not to be mastered by life, but we are to master it. But you know, it doesn't matter how many of those books, those types of books that you read, we all at one time or another, we are going to fall prey. We are going to fall victim to, to circumstance. We're going to fall victim, some would call it chance, or some would call it the accident. And so we ebb and we flow through, through kind of feeling down or kind of being in a place of concern. And then when things get going better, we, we kind of go into a different place of, of feeling better, only, only to have something happen and have it bring us back into that, that place of concern again. I mean, we can't help but be affected by the... The events that swirl around us, whether it be on the worldwide stage or in our own little sphere of influence. We can't help but be affected by the people around us. And, and sometimes life just comes up and throws you a sucker punch out of nowhere and sucks the life right out of you. And then you fall back into that place of concern and you become painfully aware of, of feeling just discontent and, and, and maybe unfulfilled. And maybe there's, there's got to be something better. And so you begin to think, what do I need to do to fix me so that I can fix this situation? That's kind of just life. It's the way it, it all kind of works out, you know. We're all very aware that something is just not right in this world but we tend to focus on the symptom of the not right and not the cause of the not right. And we realize, we, we, we settle into the idea that, that fixing and making changes to me is going to, is going to fix everything else. If I can just fix me, then it's going to be all right. But then all the trying and all the fixing, we realize that nothing really changes for very long. Or maybe some things never change. And you're continually striving and striving and striving. And you wear yourself out and you get tired and you throw up your hands in defeat and say, man, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. And you give up. 
Because I would say you're focusing, we focus on the wrong thing. We focus on the symptom. And to fix the symptom when the infection rages on is very difficult. Now, according to the scriptures, there is a fix to our problem. According to the scriptures, there is a remedy. See, what the Bible tells us over all things is that what is really important in our life, what's really important, the number one thing is our relationship with God. And what is really important about that relationship with God is that we are in right relationship with him. And in order to be in right relationship with him, we have to engage the revelation that he has given us of himself in these pages. What the Bible is consistently telling us is, okay, people, you know that something is wrong. Something is broken. Something is messed up. And see, you're striving for the wrong thing. And eventually you're going to come to a place of realizing that your fixes fix nothing. And that's why it's always calling us back to this relationship with God. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible knows what the main problem is, what the core problem is. We always like to take care of the symptom. But the Bible goes right to the root of the problem, of the disease. And it's always going to point us back to God. Always pointing us back to Him and our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. All of our stumblings, all of our troubles... I really believe that they stem from the fact that we walk outside of our harmonious relationship with the Lord that he has invited us into. We are most unhappy, we are most unfulfilled, discontent, discouraged when we wander away from the source of life. And the Bible tells us very clearly that until until we get back to that source... Until we make that relationship a priority, we can try, we can strive, we can, we can work, we can fix, but it's not really going to make any difference. I mean, yeah, you might make a little tweak here or there, but, but all we're doing is going to change. We're, we're trading symptom for something else. Let me trade in this symptom for something else, which is just as equally as, as tiring and as, as harmful to us. Here's the message of the Bible in Cliff Notes. The world is broken and the only fix is God. That's it. Unfortunately, if I write a book about that, it'll be really short and nobody probably buy it. But I mean, that's, that's, that's it. There's a chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And uh, it's, it's probably one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. Outside of Romans chapter 12, my own personal opinion. But Romans 11, um, some call it like the faith chapter, but it's, it's all these stories about people of faith. And, and it, starts off, it starts off with this verse. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let that kind of seep in a little bit. Faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. And then that, that chapter goes on and tells all these amazing stories 
about men and women of faith. People who walked this world, got their feet dirty, got their hands dirty, and, and, and walked in the same brokenness that we do. I would, say, I would say even more brokenness. I mean, it says in there that some of them were sawed in half. All right, just letting you know, that's a bad day. All right, I don't want to end my day or start my day being sawed in half. But then as we look at this chapter and the people and their stories and their lives, we begin to consider them. You can't help but to think or to feel, man, there's, there's, there's something about them. There's something special about them. What's their secret? How did they pull that stuff off? Well, according to the scripture, it was their relationship with God. See, they went through terrible things. Like they redefined terrible things. They redefined difficulty. But they willfully endured them. They willfully went into those, those situations. I mean, read, read the chapter. Uh, not now, but later. And you'll see these stories of men and women. In the midst of all that they went through, they pressed forward. Because of their faith. Maybe we can define faith as being in right relationship with God. And because of their faith, they were not mastered by life. Because of their faith, because of their relationship, they moved through life with grace and strength and assurance. Man, I want that. You know, I'm, um, I'm not a, a political preacher. I don't, I don't use the pulpit to take sides in any political agenda. Uh, it's just not my belief. I know that others may do that, but that's not where, where I kind of land. Um, I don't like any of them. I think they're, well, never mind. I don't want to get political. Um, I don't really reference a lot of current events and things that take a place, take, that are taking place around the world. Um, I, I don't pr- try to predict the future I don't, I don't even really preach on end times very much, uh, end times theology. Uh, I believe that it's going to end. Jesus wins. Uh, we don't know when, and are you ready? Again, not much of a book to write. Um, but I will, I will constantly, constantly preach over and over again the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not ever stop preaching that. I will not ever stop telling that we are called to, called to walk with God through faith in Jesus. Because it's, you know, that message, that message doesn't take away pain and suffering and brokenness from the world and, and things that we experience. It, it doesn't. In fact, it, it actually recognizes those things are a part of our life. The truth of the matter is those things are a part of the broken world that we live in. But that message, what it proclaims is this. No matter what comes our way, no matter what, it can be well with our soul. That's the gospel. And as as John writes these words... You know, we gloss over my dear children, my dear children. But he's right. He's an old man. And he's writing with such tenderness. He's not writing to kids. 
he's just so old that everybody's his kid. My dear children, those are words of tenderness. And he knows well the dangers that take place when we walk away from the source of life. He knows the dangers that pull us away from our relationship with God. He sees the human condition so clearly. And I do believe that it's, it's through God's divine revelation that he does that. And this, this, this two verses, these two verses, he, he addresses our complacency in life. And he addresses hopelessness that we have in our lives. With these two very short verses, he, he looks at the, the spectrum of how we live. Both at very, very different ends of, of complacency and, and hopelessness. I mean, you, you know the feeling. You're, you're going through life and everything's going along good. and Everything is, is just kind of hunky-dory. And then, and then you become kind of complacent. You just, you know, you're going through, you really don't think about God that much because, well, you know, things are going well right now. And we can skip a Sunday or two or three or four or five or six or nine or 15. Oh, you come here? But then something happens. It's that sucker punch. And we're overcome with hopelessness. And it's hard to find that balance. It's hard to walk that balance. It seems like nirvana is just a myth. You know, we're never going to reach that state of um. But what, what John is writing here, he, he's saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. This is your responsibility. And he tells us, and here's, and here's what God is going to do through his incredible grace and mercy, what God is willing and just waiting to do. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Man, that's, that's, that's a poke in the eye right there. You will not sin. And I know that we just talked about, John says, well, if you say you're without sin, then you make yourself out, him out to be a liar. Stay with me on this. But what he's saying, we can't deny is, if you want to be in right relationship with God, don't sin. Pretty simple. Don't put something other than God as a God in your life. That's the prop. That's what sin is. That's the root cause of everything that we go through. That we have made something other than the God of the universe, God of our lives, the Lord over our lives. And we disregard the revelation of the Lord in these pages. I mean, if you look at the, the, the big 10, the big 10 commandments, the first one, the first one says what? Don't have any gods before me. And then, the, then it goes on to just tell us what the symptom of, of, of um, not following that command. Now, don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your parents, which means that people weren't honoring their parents. But then you look at the Levitical law. Man, there's lots of rules and regs. Oh, it doesn't stop there. Look into the New Testament, the writings of Paul. He continually addresses the symptom of sin, of what what we do, what we're prone to do when we put something other than God as God in our life. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Could sin be 
really our refusal to follow that first command. You will have no other gods before me. See, when our, when our own desire becomes the most important thing in our lives, when, when we want what we want and we believe we deserve what the things that we want, that becomes our God. And truth becomes something very relative. Truth is, truth is, whatever I need to believe about God in order to get the things that I want, that is now my truth about him. And that truth can ebb and flow and change depending on what you really want, what you really think you deserve. And that desire becomes our God. It becomes a controlling factor in our life. That's a dangerous place to be. The world is no longer interested in, in the truth. The world subscribes to a truth. The flavor of the month truth. The political agenda truth. Ooh, I got political. Sorry. I repent. Dear. And that's no truth at all. God is no longer at the center of people's lives. And I'm talking about the church. Because John's talking about the church. The Lord is not the center of our lives. We made ourselves God. We want to be God. We want to be in control. We make terrible gods. Just because you occasionally pray when you want things or you're in trouble, just because you come to church on Sunday and you keep some Christian friends and you've read a couple Christian books and maybe even a Christian magazine and listen to some Christian music does not mean that the Lord is at the center of your life, that he is in control. This is about being completely open and honest and living for the glory and honor of him. Being honest with yourself that our, our ultimate desire is to honor him. This is not about you being perfect. It's not about you being, you, you know, I'm, I have achieved moral perfection, ethical perfection, whatever you want. Behaviorally, I am, I, I am it. I have arrived. This is not about that. This is about the desire in your heart to honor the Lord. This is about really asking the question in all things, what would God have me do? What would he have for me here? And you will make mistakes, but it's the desire of our heart. What would God have me do? And so John writes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We got to wrestle with that a little bit. We do. It's in the scripture for a reason. We, we got to wrestle with that. We can't ignore a statement like that and just keep it out there in idea world. Idea. Idea world. It has, to, it has to come down to our level. We need to put the rubber to the road. And the more we understand it, I believe the, the better able we will be to walk in the light that God calls us to walk in. So let's, there's a lot of consequence to sin. I mean, it breaks our relationship with the Lord. It, it, it ruins our prayer life. It's, it, it ruins uh, fellowship, friendships within the body of, of believers. 
But there's, there's something very simple that I want to talk to you about, about, about why we should not, why we have to heed something like this. Why we have to take that one sentence very serious. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, I, I hope you understand what sin is. It's putting something other than God as God in your life. And then the symptom, the consequence, they're just very colorful and they run the gamut. But the reason we, sh- we need to listen to this is very simple. Because God said we should not sin. God commanded us, don't have any other gods before me. I don't know how much simple I can make it. There's consequences to it. It causes trouble for us. And if we're really honest, and I know we don't like honesty in church, but if we're really honest, we are all suffering from the consequence of our sin. And if we want to just push it a little farther, I bet you there's some of you in here this morning that are really suffering some consequence from your sin. I know that you may not want to hear that, it may, have, it may have offended you, and you're going to punish me by not showing up for a few weeks. Maybe you'll never come back. But I wanna, uh, if that's you, I want you to listen to this next thing I want to tell you. I am not offending you at all. But it's the Holy Spirit of God working in your conscience that's offending you. And so you want to be offended, you take it up with him. You see, I've made a promise to the Lord I've made a promise to this community and I've made a promise to myself that I will always teach the full counsel of Scripture. And sometimes it ain't all lovey-dovey. When we take our sin lightly, we make a mockery out of Christ and out of the cross. When it, our, our sin, my sin was the reason he had to leave eternity, come to earth and humble himself and make himself nothing. My sin drove the nails into his hands, drove the nails into his feet, the spear into his side. My sin, your sin, we did that. And yes, he received those things because he loves us, but it was my sin that swung the hammer. It was your sin that cracked that whip across his back. He suffered the shame of the cross for me and for you. God takes sin very serious. So much so that he had to put his son to the cross. So should we. So should we. We should not desire, we should not walk easily in the very thing that sent Jesus to the cross. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. When we walk in sin like it's our job, we're committed to it, we're uncaring and unmoved, we walk outside of the gospel. See, the gospel is, is what gives us strength. It gives us power. It gives us renewal. It, it gives us life. 
It's no use to say that you walk with God and are consistently, willfully unmoved in your sinfulness. To walk with Christ is to realize what the problem is. What the core problem is. What is the root of the problem. And in that realization, we have this desire, this deep, honest desire at the very core of us to be set free from that. When we try to rationalize and we try to condone, we try to ignore and we try to make excuses, guess what? We deny the very thing we profess. And when you deny the very thing you profess, you are a liar. You are a hypocrite. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the verses we're looking at this morning. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. As you examine your life, which I pray that you do, I really pray that you examine your own life and that you would not ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But as you examine your life, as he brings those things to light, as you begin to feel the weight of the sin in your life against the Lord, here is the good news of the gospel. Here is the good news of the gospel. And I say to you this morning with confidence, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess your sin to him, and he will forgive you. That is the good news. No matter, no matter how long you've been in it, no matter how terrible it's been, no matter how perverted, no matter how much damage you have called, caused, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess your sin, and you will be forgiven. This is our hope. This is our comfort. This is our freedom. This is the gospel. Don't believe the whisper of the enemy in your ear that God is unwilling to or cannot. Don't listen to that hopeless lie because it is a lie. If we confess he is faithful and just and he will purify us from all unrighteousness and we will be forgiven. Christ has covered our sin, past, present, and future. Amen. And he's covered the sin for the entire world. Now, I want to just give you a little note about that. What John is not talking about here is some form of universalism. It's not, you know, you can go on believing whatever you want to believe that the death of Jesus Christ uh, has uh, covered everyone's sin and it doesn't matter what you believe that you're good. Because remember, John is writing to the, uh, to the church. What I, and, and, and a lot has been written on that, just like that one few words in that sentence but but here's as i thought about it here's what i land on and it's i'm a simple guy so i have simple thoughts about it it talks to it speaks to to the completeness of the work of christ that's if everyone in the entire world 
all, what, six billion of us? If everyone in the entire world at the very same moment turned to Christ, repented, confessed, and received that forgiveness, the cross in that very moment is able to cover it all, completely. His work on the cross was sufficient for the entire world. And so this is the first Sunday of Lent. And we're on a collision course with Easter Sunday. We'll have a good Friday service this year. Last year we did a, a Maudy Thursday. And so Good Friday we're on a collision cor- course with images of the cross and the crucifixion. That's not the end of the story because on that Sunday we enter into the resurrection. My prayer for you is that you would begin to do the hard work of allowing the light of the Lord to shine in those dark places of your heart, illuminating the sin that we all all carry. And that in that moment, as he brings it to light, that you would not fear condemnation, but you would receive the forgiveness that he offers. that you would receive the forgiveness that he offers. That you would repent, confess, and be set free. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your word. Thank you for forgiveness and for the cross. As we move through this time, Lord, of coming to Easter, I pray that we will not fear I pray that we would not fear be in fear to confess our sin and be healed. May we know your mercy and grace more and more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. I will see you next week.